You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter. Go to assemblycall.com slash join today and sign up for free. That's assemblycall.com slash join. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by Crane Credit Union. Get a $150 deposit into your new Crane Credit Union checking account when you get e-statements, have direct deposit, and use your debit card. Plus, there's no monthly service charges and no minimum balance to open your account. Stop into any of Crane Credit Union's 14 locations or visit their website at cranecu.org for more information. That's cranecu.org. Crane Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of Assembly Call Radio. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. This is episode number 31 of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 323rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 15th, 2017. I am Jared Morris, your host for Assembly Call Radio, where each week we break down the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. And remember, once the season starts, you can catch us immediately after every IU basketball game on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Watch us live at assemblycall.com. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to assemblycall.com slash YouTube. And if you can't catch one of our shows live, you can always catch up with our podcast. Just search for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts and you will find us. All right, well, let's begin how we always begin, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And the banner moment for this week on what was admittedly a rather uneventful week when it comes to Indiana basketball news. Uh, This week's banner moment is the report by Jeff Goodman of ESPN, big fan of Ryan's. uh, (laughs) The man loves me. (laughs) That discussions are ongoing about the Big Ten moving to a 20-game schedule right now it's an 18 game schedule so what does this have to do with hanging another banner well I think in the future moving to a 20 game schedule will make better finishes in the Big Ten standings more likely for Indiana which should theoretically improve Indiana's NCAA tournament seating which should theoretically set Indiana up for deeper tournament runs and how will moving from an 18 game schedule to a 20 game schedule do that Simple. It provides two additional games for the cream to rise to the top, in this case the cream and crimson, and means that the regular season Big Ten Conference standings will be about 10% more accurate of a reflection for how good teams really are. If you plan on being good year in, year out, then this should be a good thing. Right now with 18 games and such annual disparities in conference strength of schedules among Big Ten teams, it allows for more fluky results. If you're a team that is often in the middle of the pack or below, This is a positive. It gives you a better chance to jump up into the upper echelon every now and again. But if you're a consistent top dog, which I believe Indiana will be under Archie Miller, then you welcome the addition of more games and the removal of flukier standings. Now, if I had my druthers, we'd play a true round-robin 26-game schedule. That's obviously impossible. A 20-game schedule wouldn't be perfect, but it would be better... A stupid conference expansion. (laughs) Stupid expansion. It would be better, especially for the conference's basketball powers, which Indiana should be more consistently moving forward. At least that's the hope anyway. And now let me introduce my esteemed co-host, everyone's favorite bracketologist and Robert Johnson superfan has another week off. So no Andy Bottoms this week. But here with me, my wingman for another evening out on the virtual town with IU fans everywhere is a virtuous man who would have politely covered his eyes and kept his pants on during an official visit to Louisville, a columnist for the big lead, and someone who watches the Marco Killingsworth dunk every night before he lays his sweet head down on his pillow and then dreams about delivering a similar dunk himself and then hanging on the rim while a helpless Coach K on the court and clad in a full Blue Devil uniform with number double zero looks up helplessly from below. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what do you have to rant about this week? Man, that was its own rant in itself. You really you really outdid yourself with that intro there, Jared. I feel like um, I really captured the essence of you and your nighttime ritual there though with that. Yeah, one. I mean, I I didn't I have never told anyone that. So apparently you're spying on me in some way, which, you know, 
I kind of flattered, actually. Um, I, you know, there is no IU news to really rant about this week. And and so I'm going to go sideways and, and, and talk, since we're going to talk some other things this week on the show, you know, loosely related to IU basketball, um, I'm going to talk about the big fight with quotes around it that everybody's talking about the, cause it's the only thing I got to rant about right now. It, it, it's the, the Floyd Mayweather and, uh, uh, Connor McGregor fight that has been agreed to. Um, and all I can tell anybody listening is please do not waste your money on this. This is a farce. It's a joke. It is. It, I mean, it's, it's Rocky Balboa fighting Hulk Hogan in the opening of Rocky three. That is how, ridiculous this will be and and i'm just i just want everybody to know i i've been a long time boxing fan i i appreciate mma i i enjoy that as well um but don't buy this fight do not give them a hundred dollars which is what it's going to cost i mean if you really have to see it go to a bar that's showing it pay a three dollar cover and watch it do not spend the money on this it's a joke a guy who's never boxed before is going to fight one of the greatest fighters of all time a guy in floyd mayweather that i don't like and would love to see get knocked out is going to destroy the other guy in this fight so just i i would just beg people not to fall for it not to fall for the hype that's going to come up people are going to say that mcgregor's got a puncher's chance and all this that is absolute garbage this is a joke and they're just fleecing you for money do not spend the money that's all i'm going to say this week that's the only thing i've got to rant about and we can move on with with uh, more pressing business let me ask you this though quickly kind of bring it to indiana basketball because there wasn't news and i've seen a few grumblings on message boards you know the only news that there really could be this time of year is bad news so it's a good thing that there hasn't been any of that kind of news but the only other kind of news would be some kind of early commitment you know an early commitment from the class of 2018 or, or 2019 you know maybe during this archie miller honeymoon period you sometimes expect a commitment like that to pop. Are you concerned at all that there hasn't been one of those yet? Is that worth ranting about at all? Or should, do we all just need no. to be patient? No, th- this staff, I think, is is one, they're getting the lay of the land with the recruits that Indiana can bring in. I mean, remember, these are different guys than they would have been recruiting at at at, um, at Dayton. So uh, I think that you're you're looking at them now having to change. It's not like they had built-in relationships with a lot of these guys. They're changing the level of guy they're going after. It's going to take a while to a assess the player because they're having to do, you know, their due diligence on these guys for the first time in many cases. So, I mean, and and then build those relationships. And I think people are really waiting to see how this coaching staff, you know, really comes together and, and, you know, look, they haven't been on campus that long. So I get it. A lot of people are antsy. They want commitments. They want something. I would expect as we get closer to the school year, we start hearing some news on that front. But let's remember, these guys are going after top guys who are being chased by a lot of schools and they are going to, you know, these other, these other guy these kids they're going after are already locked in with a lot of these schools so it's going to take time to lure them away and and get them on campus and get them you know involved and and possibly get them you know to commit so i i think it's going to take some time i think that that people need to give this coaching staff some breathing room to to get some work done and also remember that their first priority i mean obviously recruiting is a huge part of the picture but their first priority is to get these kids that are on campus now to play better because in the long run Winning is what gets you recruits. You can talk about personality. You can talk about, you know, interviews and you can talk about sit downs and coaching camps and all that. What gets you recruits is is sustained success. And so if they don't have a top tier recruiting class this year, that doesn't mean they won't. Eventually, the thing that gets you those top tier guys that can win national championships is to win consistently. And so that that is their number one priority is to build a winning team on the court. And that will breed the success that will bring in those top tier recruits, I think at least. And here I thought it was all about strippers and tractors. You're telling me that's not what brings recruits, huh? I mean, what are we, Louisville? I mean, it's... All right, so we have a fun show planned for you this week. Uh, We're going to dive into some updates on the draft statuses of OG Ananobi and Thomas Bryant. One of those two guys has been falling uh, rather precipitously just over the past couple of days, at least in a few mock drafts. So we want to talk about that. We, of course, have our segment 
our Twitter Q&A with your questions, a lot of good ones submitted. And then we're going to, as Ryan kind of mentioned, you know, go a little bit outside of Indiana basketball. And we're going to have a discussion about the Golden State Warriors' impact on basketball. And this, of course, will influence Indiana because a lot of times what we see in the NBA can trickle down into the college game. And so we want to talk about what impact the Warriors' success and their style of play could have. That should be a fun conversation. That'll be coming up in our third segment. All of that and more on this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Before we dive in and talk about the NBA draft, which happens one week uh, from today, from tonight when we record this, a quick word about this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, as you know, as we've been telling you about, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually used SeatGeek to buy tickets uh, to an Ed Sheeran concert for my wife for Mother's Day. Used it to watch Yogi play here in Dallas earlier this year, so I can vouch for it. It works, uh, and I I recommend that you use it as well uh, because the app is great and SeatGeek in so many ways has designed itself, its app, its website to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. And best of all, our listeners get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. I had someone uh, reach out and send me a direct message on Twitter just today uh, about what the promo code was because she was planning on uh, using SeatGeek to get some concert tickets. So ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. And Ryan, we are one week away from the NBA draft, and it is another NBA draft that will be an interesting one for Indiana fans to watch. Obviously, last year the Hoosiers didn't have anybody drafted, but Troy Williams and Yogi Ferrell went on to have uh, pretty good rookie seasons anyway. This year, it looks like Indiana should have two guys drafted. Three guys went pro. I think at this point, you know, even though James Blackman Jr. is hitting like 20 straight threes on videos that are being posted on Twitter – Everyone kind of knows he can shoot. It's not shooting that is the big question mark with him. So I think most people expect him to go undrafted but get a chance in someone's, uh, on someone's summer league team. Thomas Bryant, you know, his momentum seems to be kind of steady. I think everybody thought he would be a second-round type guy. That's what it seems like he is. Uh, he's been you know, going to a lot of meetings, a lot of workouts, seems to have a really good attitude about the whole thing. The guy who seems to be dropping a little bit is OG Ananobi. I uh, saw uh, Draft Express, their recent mock draft. They have consistently had him, you know, around the 12, 13, 14 range. I saw him at number 22 uh, and have seen, you know, some folks like Zan Bassini uh, expressing some concerns that they have heard uh, from other NBA teams just about OG in terms of health, you know, how healthy is the knee. Uh, obviously, he hasn't been able to work out, so that adds a lot more questions to the proceedings, whereas other players are working out and answering some of those questions. And then, you know, a lot with OG is about projection. And when you flip on the film from last year, he made some very spectacular plays, but also was very uneven uh, on both ends of the floor, uh, in part because he he played some games injured, uh, but in part just because he was a sophomore kind of still getting acclimated. So he's such a kind of a blank slate. Uh, but I'm curious kind of what you are hearing. Do you think it's realistic that OG could fall into the 20s or do you think he's still got a shot at the lottery? I mean, it's a possibility that he could fall. Uh, certainly, the the teams have not. They they rarely leak the medical issues, and and they've all had a look at. I'm sure his medical issues, and and we'll have to decide, you know, whether it's worth. I mean, let's face it. He's probably not going to be available to start the season. It's probably going to be a, a thing where he's may not be ready till January, um, and, and it's going to depend on where he goes. I think it's it's the kind of thing where if he drops past a certain point. Uh, to the be you know and he gets into the range of the teams that are competitive they may not want to take a guy who can't impact a season right away because they're in you know if they're in the mix they're going to want all of their guys to contribute because as you said he is a guy that's all about projection it's all about long term with him um that said i mean most of the mock drafts i'm looking at have him in the 11 to 15 range um you know things could change obviously we don't know a lot there's a lot of smoke screens out there right now uh you never really know until the night of the draft uh who's going where there's also you know when you get past that top 10 there's a lot of trades that happen where teams in the 20s trade up into the top 10 to get the one guy they want 
then teams that might take OG would drop down. And, you know, he could fall out of that top 15. Uh, but I think if you look at the entire package with OG, his intelligence, uh, his lack of experience, uh, and, and you look at what he was able to do as a freshman, and then sophomore year, there was a lot put on him that I don't think he was ready to handle, and there wasn't a team leader leading that you know, roster and, and putting him in the right places and everything. Um, and you, and you look at his maturity age wise. Uh, I, I think that you can forgive a lot of what happened in his sophomore year, as long as they're convinced that he's going to come back healthy and he's still going to be as athletic as he was. Uh, then I don't think there's any reason for him to fall. Uh, if teams are concerned about that, then I think you're going to start seeing it. But I think with the success of a guy like Kawhi Leonard, um, the success of a guy like Draymond Green, who were who were defense first and then developed their offense, uh, I think that a guy like OG has a great you know, model to follow in the NBA. And I think he could be very successful. So I think it's, it's just a matter of that one team believing in him. And that's the way it is with the draft. And that's why I think Tom, where I think Thomas will get drafted too, is a second round team is going to fall in love with his potential as a 19 year old with his size and measurables and everything and, and take him. So it's just about that one team finding, you know, falling in love with a guy. And, and we'll see if that happens next week. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I don't see OG dropping that far though. Yeah, and look, as Yogi Ferrell proved, you know, it doesn't even have to happen in the draft. And sometimes the team that you start the season with isn't the one that proves to be the best fit, as he seems sometimes to have found a great I mean, with the Mavericks. Yeah, frankly, sometimes it's better to go undrafted than be a second-round pick because you get to pick where you go and you get to pick the depth chart you're going to be competing against as opposed to being thrown in on a team you may not you know, fit well with. Yeah. Well, we wish all of those guys luck, and obviously we'll be talking about this more on next week's show as the draft will probably be going on while we're doing next week's show. So maybe we'll have some breaking news during the show uh, when OG or Thomas get picked. All righty, let's move forward now, and let's go to segment number two. That is our Twitter Q&A. You guys all sent in some great questions. We are excited to answer them, and we will do that next here on The Assembly Call. are listening to the assembly call i'm jared morris here talking iu hoops with ryan phillips yes iu hoops we will not talk anymore about boxing i promise you ryan has promised us he will not talk about that i made i made no such promise <laughs> uh okay so it's time for twitter q a we're bumping that up one segment this week uh we've got some fun questions so let's dive right into them uh first question here comes from our longtime loyal listener bart kaufman and Ryan, he wants to know: Should a coach hire a coach to get a player? Uh, we all an assistant, to be clear, right? Yes, yes. Hire head an coach, assistant coach. Hire, yeah, head coach. Hire an assistant coach to get a player. Like if Archie Miller hired Romeo Langford's dad to get Romeo Langford, that would be kind of the example. Um, and obviously, we've seen this happen a lot in the past. We saw it happen with the you know one of the most high profile recruits in the incoming class, Michael Porter, who was originally going to go to Washington. His dad was an assistant there, but when Lorenzo Romar got fired and Conzo Martin took over the job at Missouri, he hired Michael Porter's father, and then Michael Porter signed on to play at Missouri. So we have seen this happen uh, many different places. Uh, I have my thoughts in on this. college football, college football too. We see high school coaches taken, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty common practice these days. So it is common and obviously it's legal. So we don't need to worry about that, but and, do you and think I, it's smart I, to do for the coach? Well, I will step in real quick and say, I think the NCAA is taking steps to make this illegal very shortly. Um, they are. Uh, and that was part of the new rule passage in a couple years, uh, a player's, coach or somebody else. It has to be like two years of separation between taking a player and getting a coach or something. I'm not sure the exact rule, but that was being discussed as a potential rule change. And it looks like it was going to pass and, and be implemented eventually because there is so much of this going on. I mean, Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh took the number one, the nation's number one recruits, uh, high school football coach as a, you know, a, a support staff member a couple years ago and got the player. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds of the stuff going on. As you said, I think in the Quanzo Martin, uh, Michael Porter situation, Michael Porter senior and Quanzo Martin have been friends for like two decades. So that one's a little different. He may have wanted him regardless, but at the same time, yeah, he, that was an added benefit was bringing his son along with him. Um, I do not think that Indiana should go out and do that. I, I don't think that's what the program should be about. I, I think that, uh, the, the, your coaches should be brought in on their merit alone, not their connection to a player. Uh, I think that, Certainly any coach you bring in, you're bringing in 
a lot of times because of connection to recruits. Uh, not necessarily direct connection, but his ability to get those guys and maybe a built-in relationship you already have as far as having recruited him for a while. But I think that's different than having a guy's high school coach or AAU coach brought in specifically to target a specific player. And and I do think that's wrong. I think that that is, you know, a disingenuous way to go about it. I think you should convince the player to be a part of your program on its own merits, not because a friend is going to be there with them. Um, I, you've seen people also offer scholarships to people's brothers or sisters to get the one guy in. And, and I don't think that's right. I think you can operate your program however you want. I, I, you know, and I'm being judgmental about that. Um, but at the same time, I just feel like you should offer the program on the program's merit and you should offer the player on the player's merit and you should bring in coaches on the coach's merit, not their connection to anything else. And I don't think that's something Indiana has to do to lure recruits. I think Indiana is, is enough of, you know, Indiana speaks for itself enough that it doesn't need to do that. That's my opinion. Well, and I just think it's a little bit short-sighted. I mean, because assistant coaches, assistant coaches are really important. And yes, bring in a player like Michael Porter, that could be, you know, program changing for a school like Missouri. And and that's why this happens, because some players are so talented, you do what you, you need to do to bring them in. But is that really in the long term best interest of your program? Because coaches need to be there for player development. They need to recruit other people besides just that one person. And so you know, look, if you do it and it gives you a national championship or a conference championship, then maybe, you know, the, the benefits outweigh the costs of it. But I think for most schools in most situations, I just don't think it's very good long-term thinking. I think it devalues, it, it ignores the value that assistant coaches bring in terms of, now, if the guy that you're bringing in is equal to another assistant that you would hire and that's what breaks the tie that they could bring in a great recruit, fine, hire that person. But I think in most cases, that's not going to be the case. I think, you know, look, yeah. at, look at the staff that Indiana brought, because I think Bruiser Flint and, and, and Ostrom and Ed Schilling, these are all really, really accomplished coaches uh, It's a well-rounded group. And, you know, let's say that you could have brought in, you know, Romeo Langford's high school coach or Keon Brooks's dad or something. And, and you get the player, but you have to replace one of these assistant coaches. I just don't think that's really good long term thinking for the future of your program. Now, look, for a small program, a smaller, like not major program, there the cost almost certainly outweigh or is almost certainly outweighed by the benefit. Because if you can get a top five recruit by bringing in their high school coach at a smaller program that's not a national power and you have a chance to jump up because of that, you know, then then certainly that's a different scenario because you're you're hoping that the benefit long term is going to be people see your program, people want to be involved with your program because they see what you do with that outstanding player. But Indiana is not that. And, and I think that that's a different level. Now, also to go back and I just want to reiterate, Michael Porter Sr. is a well-respected assistant coach who would have had a job somewhere. You know, having been fired as a part of Lorenzo Romar's staff, he go, he goes way back with Quanzo Martin. They're from Missouri, you know, so that's not why the best he example up. of this. And it's no, the most it's, egregious it's not. Form. But it is the most recent, I yeah. think, big picture example. So I think that's it's kind of like, you know, you do have to kind of look at Missouri and be like, they're not totally doing that just to get like he's going to be a good assistant coach for them, regardless of his son being there. Uh, this isn't like they brought in a guy who had been an AAU coach for a few years to get a player. So, um, you know, to give them credit on that, on that end. But at the same time, you do the, again, this is happening all over college basketball. They're bringing guys in to support staff positions and things like that. who may not be an actual assistant coach, but they're bringing guys as like the video coordinator or something who is an AAU coach with a bunch of players. He's going to bring with Now, I don't think that you should be able to like add some new position and do it because then that that just is an arms race where more resources allow you to do it. If you're going to do it, you should have to fill a scarce position. And then, and, I, then I think it's fine. I don't think they should legislate that. They should only legislate that part of it that you have to fill one of a limited number of positions if you're going to do And you know it. who you can blame for that is Nick Saban at Alabama has a massive football support staff where he goes through and he hires high school football coaches from around the country to come in, gives them six-figure salaries, and they basically just sit there and help him recruit. That is all they do. And, and it's, you know, his support staff is like 60 people. And, and, and that's, again, you're right. That's an arm race and now other programs are starting to do it clemson has started to do it usc has started to do it and they're filling up these massive support staffs 
I mean, it's ridiculous. It's completely unlegislated. You can have as many guys as you want, and that's going to start happening in college basketball. I can guarantee it. And you're going to start seeing AAU coaches filling those positions and high school coaches, you know, from big time traditional powers and and all that stuff. And and, and it's going to be interesting to see how that how that plays out and how the NCAA legislates it. You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips answering the questions that you sent to us via Twitter. Uh, Thank you for that question, Mr. Kaufman. That was a great one. Uh, Let's go on now to Chad. We've got a few questions left, Ryan. I think we can hit a lot of these pretty quickly. So Chad wants to know what our thoughts are on the open scholarship. Indiana only has 12 scholarships committed for next year. Uh, Are we in the running for anybody that's left? Uh, Any decommits? Is there a grad transfer option, a possible JUCO? So here's where that stands right now. Number one, it's important to remember that Archie Miller is not at all afraid to enter the 2017 season with that scholarship open and take it into the next class. He has said that. Uh, I think right now that seems like the most likely scenario. You know, the two guys that we thought could be options, Nas Carter and David Moretti, uh, they have both committed to play elsewhere. Nas Carter to Washington, David Moretti to Texas Tech, so they are not options. It doesn't look like there's any grad transfer opportunities out there right now that Indiana is interested in, but, you know, uh, one could, uh, I suppose, I suppose theoretically come open here before the end of the season. So I'm sure Indiana will keep their eyes open there. And then the only potential recruit is Eric Ayala, a guard, who is still, I think, trying to decide if he's going to classify for 2017 or 2018, and Indiana is involved there. And I think if he wants to come to Indiana, I believe he has a scholarship option. So he is the one guy that I think could do that. But other than that, I think the most likely scenario is that Indiana enters 2017 with just those 12 scholarships uh, and then looks to uh, obviously use them in the classes moving forward. Uh, Ryan, do you have any other insight there on what Indiana might do? No, I, th- I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think they are in any rush to use it. I thought Nas Carter might have been a guy that they could have brought in. I was shocked he committed to Washington. Uh, I mean, look, I know a lot of people went to Washington living on the West Coast. That's a great campus. It's beautiful. Everything. I was just shocked with where that basketball program is that he decided to go there. But maybe they sold him on being the guy there, um, you know, and being the guy they build around in that new, uh, you know, with the the rebirth of the program. Um but yeah, I, I, so I was surprised there. I thought that was the guy that was going to, it was going to be, if it was going to be anybody. Um, but I, I don't think Archie Miller feels like he has to fill that. I think there's a chance you see somebody go on scholarship for a year, uh, like a McRoberts going on scholarship for the year and then maybe coming off, uh, the next year. I think Archie has, has said he'd be, he'd be open, uh, to doing that. And he would be open with the player about, Hey, well, we can help you out this year, but we may have to fill that scholarship the next year. Um, but again, you've has got said six. That? I didn't read that. I think I think that's the scuttlebutt behind the scenes. I, I don't okay. know if he's directly addressed that, but I think that was the scuttlebutt behind the scenes that that was being reported is that there, there's a chance that happens. Okay. And the the key to that, as other people were saying, is just being open with the player like, hey, we could help you out this year, but we may need that scholarship in a year. And I think any walk on would be fine with that, you know, as long as the dialogue is open in that direction. Yep. Um, as far as what they should do, what I think they should do. I I mean, look, there's always the grad transfer route. Uh, There's always the regular transfer route. I mean, this is not a one-year thing. I mean, we'll just see. I mean, look, Chris Holtman has gone to Ohio State. There's a new coach at Butler. Maybe somebody, you know, something shakes loose at one of those schools. Um, But I I just think there's no rush to do anything. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they fill a six-scholarship class next year. And again, this could be the kind of thing where they don't, what looks like a six-scholarship class, as you say. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if they don't fill that whole class does that carry over another two uh, another scholarship or two the next year but there's no problem with doing that as long as you have solid walk-ons who can fill practice bodies and things like that i think you're okay um so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but but um i don't think they're in any rush to use it all right and we've hit these the, these next two questions we've hit these topics before so let's answer them quickly uh, chris wonders do you think this is uh, this next year's team is a tourney team uh, and if so where do you see them finishing so i think I do think this team is going to make the tournament. I don't think there'll be a high seed, but I think they will get in. But to do that, I think the biggest keys are Deron Davis has to stay healthy and be able to play 24, 25 minutes a game. Juwan Morgan has to stay healthy for the whole year. Robert Johnson needs to be this team's leading scorer and step up as its leader. And I think the other thing that if this team makes the NCAA tournament that we will look back on and say happened is I think Curtis Jones takes a big step up as a sophomore and helps fill the scoring void that is obviously going to be 
on this team. So I think a lot of things have to happen for Indiana to get to the NCAA tournament. But with my optimistic glasses, I'm kind of banking on those things happening. And then Archie Miller helping this roster overcome what may be some talent deficiencies in certain matchups with better defense, grit, and just some of those things that he brings uh, to the table and then player development over the course of the year. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's a tournament team as well. Um, obviously, that's as as you said, it's predicated on health. I mean, I think any team's prospects are predicated on that. Um, but I also think I agree with everything you said. But I would also add, based on the current makeup of the roster, you're going to have to see Freddie McSwain take a big step forward. Uh, I think he's going to be very important next year in the post. I know he's not a huge body, uh, but I think he's a guy who can battle down there, and he's going to have to be able to spell. Uh, Deron Davis and Jawan Morgan both because those guys are going to get into foul trouble at some point. They're going to be tired. You're going to need an extra body down there. And unless Clifton Moore puts on 30 pounds, well, 20, I'll give him 20. Uh, you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to need somebody. He wouldn't be the first freshman to put on 30. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I knew plenty of them. Um, <laughs> But, it, you know, unless he puts on some weight, I think you're going to you're going to be looking at Freddie as the next guy up down there. And, and you know, I, I've been encouraged by some of the workout videos that have come out. I think he's looking like a much better player, a much more complete player. Um, of course, those are just glimpses. We don't know what's going on day to day, but uh, he's a guy who's going to need to work and get into a spot where he can at least defend and rebound down there because you're going to need that at some point. in The Big Ten. You mean offensive rebound per minute, Freddie McSwain? Yes. Yes. And, but he's going to also need to be defense per re- rebound per minute, Freddie yes. McSwain, and not if and the, not the turnover per minute, Freddie McSwain. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. And so no, and never shoot a jump shot, Freddie McSwain would be yes. great too. I, yes. Okay. Quickly, Jake asks, what do you think the rotation will look like right now? Uh, early predictions on Big Ten final standings. We don't need to go through the whole uh, standings because there's still a lot to be decided before we get to that. But as far as rotation, I mean, look, I think. Deron Davis is going to start. Juwan Morgan is going to start. Robert Johnson is going to start. And I, I'm assuming health. I think Colin Hartman is going to start. So the question is, who gets that other guard spot as a starter? Uh, and I think it's going to be either Josh Newkirk or Devontae Green. I will always default to a senior because I think coaches yep. typically tend to default to a senior. But I do think Devontae Green is a guy who could see himself get in there. And then, look, the wild card, again, is Curtis Jones. Because I think he's a guy who, if Indiana's going to make the tournament, I think by the end of the year he finds his way into the starting lineup or he's a sixth man who's playing you know, 20-plus minutes a game. And then we'll just have to see with the freshman. I think the guy who will probably crack the rotation first is Justin Smith. because No question think, on that one. Yeah, I think physically he's the closest to being ready. Uh, and so that that's really – when I and then, of course, you know, you got Freddie McSwain who's going to be in there too. So I think that, to me, is kind of the, the top of your rotation – um, with the only, again, the only starter spot that I feel like is left to be decided is who's going to be that other guard spot uh, next to Robert Johnson. What would be great for me is if the sophomore guards, uh, uh, Curtis Jones and Devontae Green, really step up and take ownership of that second unit and and maybe make that, you know, again, it's it's not who starts the game, it's who finishes it and who plays the most that's the most important. And if those guys can really develop a chemistry where they feed off each other offensively and defensively, particularly defensively, I think, in Archie's system, um, you're going to have two guys develop into leaders. And, and, and that's what they need to do. Use that second unit as their opportunity to sort of develop those leadership qualities that they'll then take into a starting role the next year. Uh, so that's going to be really big and, and, and seeing how they handle, uh, you know, I think, I think Archie's going to throw them to the wolves. I think he's going to, to, you know, depend on them to play and, and to make an impact. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see again, uh, I've said that a lot, but we're really looking at the future. You know, it's interesting to figure out how this is all going to work out with a new coach and a new system uh, to see how the coaches rely on them, how much leeway they give them, how much rope they give them. I mean, if they're not playing well, do you default and bring in an Al Durham to, to play more or, 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 you know, move things around, get Justin Smith playing more, or do you give those guys a chance to really develop a chemistry, uh, you know, a point guard off guard relationship uh, and, and possibly move into a, a situation where they're playing with the starters. Cause look, there's going to be times again, you're going to get guys banged up. You're going to get guys in foul trouble where those guys need to step up and play and contribute on a regular basis. Well, as always, thank you for submitting your questions. It always makes that segment fun. Here coming up as we move forward, we are going to take a broader look at basketball and assess the impact of the Golden State Warriors on how the game is being played. That's coming up next on the Assembly Call. Stick with us.
You are listening to The Assembly Call. Remember to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free membership. You will get our weekly Six Banner Saturday news roundups. Could also be Six Banner Sunday because we send them on Sundays sometimes. But either day, they are delivered right to your inbox on that morning each weekend so that you can stay up to date with your Hoosiers during the offseason and even once the season begins. The URL, again, is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris talking IU basketball with my co-host on the Assembly Call, Ryan Phillips. Remember that you can join us after every IU basketball game at assemblycall.com and every week right here for Assembly Call Radio. So we're going to try something a little bit different here with this show. It's the middle of the offseason. There's not a whole lot going on. So we're going to branch out a little bit and talk about a non-IU basketball topic, but that could have... Boxing? Are we, are we uh, talking not, boxing? We are not talking boxing. <laughs> no. And we're going to cut your mic if you talk boxing again. Um, but no, we're gonna let's talk about the Golden State Warriors because obviously they just completed uh, a four to one victory over the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA Finals, uh, and you know the way that their team was constructed, the way that they play. I mean, they are such a unique team, and you know, uh, obviously, a lot of times what we see, you know, at higher levels of basketball trickles down to lower levels of basketball, and so we want to kind of assess how the Warriors play and what that means for basketball in general and what it could mean for college basketball. And, you know, right off the top, I want to talk about a trend that is quite clear. And, you know, whether or not, you know, the Golden State Warriors are driving this, I suppose, is debatable, but it certainly seems like they are. And that is the proliferation of three-point shooting at the college level. So there's a stat that is basically three-point rate, which is uh, the percentage of your field goal attempts that are three-pointers. And if you look at where that rate was in 2000, in 2010, it was 27.1%. That was the national average in college basketball for three-point rate. In 2017, that is now up to 36.4%. So if you track the growth from 2010 to 2017, 27.1%, 27.4, 27.5, 27.5, 26.7. So you can see how it's kind of steady. And then in, in 2015, 28.5 percent in 2016 29.4 percent and then last year a jump to 36.4 percent so teams are taking a ton more three-pointers and obviously that coincides with teams like the Warriors teams like the Rockets building their strategies around you know the the kind of pace and space and the you know really spreading the floor not playing through a traditional big man as much and really attacking through the three-point shooting uh, through the three-point line Ryan, do you think that this is an aberration or is this a trend that is going to continue at the NBA level and then at the college level? I think it's absolutely a trend. I, I think that uh, basketball always goes through these kind of trends, though. I, I think that there was you know, high scoring in the, in the 70s, then the 80s and 90s slowed down and it contracted. And then you had the 2000s where it was all about the triangle offense and then it expanded to teams just doing something to combat the triangle offense. And then now you're getting these wide open, uh, you know, share the ball offenses where there's everybody's be, can shoot beyond the three point line, even big men. Um, I, I think it's absolutely a trend and it's here to stay for a while until somebody can counter it. You know, they'll, they'll develop a defense to counter it. They always do figure things out and, and, and trends. I don't know if you can stop Steph Curry from shooting 40, 40 foot threes. Um, but I think that you're starting to see that trend proliferate, not only in college, but in the NBA as well. And teams trying to match what uh, the Warriors are doing and what you're going to get is Warriors assistant coaches going and becoming head coaches and bringing that system with them. They're going to spread it out. Guys who play under them will go to the other teams, give the playbook to, you know, the other teams. And you'll just, it's, it's sort of one of those things where it just metastasizes and becomes this bigger uh, thing that everybody's doing. But once everybody does it, everybody knows the tricks to counter it. And, and, and so once they develop those, you're going to start to see a trend backwards eventually. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, but right now that is the way all these teams are trying to go because, you know, defense is tougher than offense. It is. I mean, it's it's harder. You put in a lot of effort to play defense and slow teams down, and a great defense can stop a great offense. You saw, you know, the San Antonio Spurs are a great defensive team, have a lot of very good defenders, and they can slow down the Warriors at times. They can't contain them, but they can slow them down. And if Kawhi Leonard hadn't missed that series, maybe you get a better series there. But at that, at this point, the Warriors are just so dominant because they run that system better than anybody, and they have four of the best players in the world on one team. And it can be beautiful to watch. You know, yeah. the thing is, at the NBA level, you know, you have, you have thirty teams. You can find enough shooters to make that work. 
What's going to yep. happen at the college level? Because you have so many more teams, and obviously, you know, we've seen Indiana kind of running a version of this for the last few years under Tom Crean. And when Indiana had shooters, they were really good. And when they didn't have shooters, well, we all remember a couple seasons, uh, you know, how, how those seasons went, and they weren't pretty. Thanks for reminding and, us. And this is going to be an interesting season coming up for Indiana because there's some shooting, but I don't think this is going to be an elite shooting team from the outside. So what do you do at the college level where obviously you want to kind of follow the trends and play this fun brand of basketball, but you've also got to have enough shooters to do it. And then, you know, you have a, a big bruising guy like Deron Davis down low who you have to play through. What is that, that going to do at the college level? Obviously, we'll continue to see a variety of styles uh, at the college level because not everybody will be able to do this. Yeah, I think that it's going to take a while to proliferate fully the way it has in the NBA. I mean, the NBA, you're seeing it all over the place now. Um, you know, a lot of just spread the floor, let your leader handle the ball and then drive and kick. That's been going on for about eight years now. But the way the Warriors do it, which is different, is passing around the perimeter cutting through the middle, passing, you know, from the paint outside. And there's always somebody who can shoot open. I mean, it's, it's, it's really almost impossible to defend when it's run well. And you're right. It is a beautiful brand of basketball. Um, if you're in college and don't have that, I don't think it's proliferated enough to where yet to where you need to have that. But one thing I saw during the NCAA tournament, and this is the impact the greatest players in the world have on the game. You saw a lot of guys at the end of games trying, even when they were down one or looking for a tie, even down two, trying to hit threes instead of going to the hoop, the traditional just drive to the hoop and get fouled or, or put something up. And then maybe there's a rebound. You can tip it in. You saw guys throwing up really bad looks from three because everybody wants to be Steph Curry. Everybody wants to shoot that three and turn around and celebrate and do a shimmy or whatever Curry does, you know, and, and, but the thing is, it's a bad shot. You know, I mean, in college, it's a much better, you don't have the big, the seven footers you have in the NBA go to the rim and get fouled. That is a much smarter, safer shot. Sure. When you're Steph Curry and you're open and your feet are set, well, he doesn't even have it, need to have his feet set. He can do it off one foot if he wanted. But it, that's fine to do when you've established yourself. But I thought during the NCAA tournament, we didn't see the buzzer beaters in the last second plays we were used to because guys were taking terrible shots late in the shot clock because everybody wants to be the hero. Everybody wants to hit that pretty three-pointer and be Chris Jenkins at the end of Villanova's championship and you know look like Steph Curry or, or Kevin Durant bombing from deep. And they're 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 losing fundamental plays, and and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the college game. When you're right, the shooting isn't as good in the college game. There are some guys who, of course, are elite shooters and will always be elite shooters, but it's not as as wide a net as it is in the NBA, where these guys look. If you leave an NBA guard or forward open from three, chances are he's going to make the shot. It, you know, because the the talent is distilled down to such a degree that they're going to make those shots. Yeah. All right, so I it's just a different situation, I think. All right, so we have more to cover on this topic, and I want to hit that. So let's take our break now, and then we can finish out the next segment talking about this because uh, there's a lot to cover. So we will continue this subject, and let's talk about how this is going to change You know, the, the kind of players that are valued and also what could super teams mean for college basketball. We'll cover that next on the Assembly Call. You are listening to the Assembly Column, Jared Morris, talking IU basketball with Ryan Phillips. Actually, we're not really talking IU basketball in this segment. We are talking about the Golden State Warriors, their impact on basketball, and you know how their style is kind of trickling down into college basketball with what we're seeing in terms of style and teams, you know, really going for, uh, you know, shooting a lot more three pointers. But Ryan, you made an interesting point. Uh, during the break about how there's actually an element that has trickled up from college basketball to the NBA. And that is this kind of this idea of super teams that, you know, we've been talking about a lot, obviously, you know, LeBron, uh, when he went to Miami and then, you know, what they tried to create, obviously in Cleveland with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, and now uh, the Golden State Warriors having Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, and then adding Kevin Durant. And you're saying you think this has actually trickled up from college basketball and kind of the AAU culture. Yeah, I mean, the AAU culture is different than it used to be. When I was growing up and when a lot of guys who played in the early 2000s and the, the 90s grew up, the club basketball circuit, it wasn't all just AAU back then. There were different, a bunch of different organizations, was very regionalized. And you played guys from your region. You rarely played national terms. You may have played one or two. Now AAU ball, you're playing everybody from everywhere, and you're all meeting at the same place. So you're getting to know each other. 
And some of these guys are, are coming up through the college ranks and are friends and want to play together. And you're seeing package deals in recruiting. You're seeing top players join together. Kentucky's doing it every year with these guys. These guys get to know each other, say, hey, let's go to Kentucky, try and win a national championship, and then go into the NBA draft together. And you know, you're seeing this happen along the way. And now in the NBA, these guys all know each other from way back, and they're all friends. And 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 it's a situation where if you look at, say, Kobe Bryant when he was the best player in the NBA, he was he never wanted to team up with, you know, Allen Iverson or Tim Duncan or these other guys. He didn't want to team up with them because his part of his pride was beating them and, and being better to than team them. up with Shaq. <laughs> well, the Lakers, first of all, Kobe Bryant was not an established all star at that time. He'd only played two seasons. He was coming up. Everybody knew he was eventually going to be a star, but it wasn't like he and Shaq hatched a plan to team up. The Lakers traded for Shaq. You know, it wasn't like they were buddies who hatched a plan. Now, yeah, he got Pau Gasol too, but again, they didn't know each other very well before that happened. When Kevin Durant went to the Warriors, he and Draymond Green have been talking about it for a long time. You know, uh, the they had played Team USA basketball together for years. Uh, LeBron was really good friends with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and they teamed up together in, in Miami. And then he knew Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving had gone to LeBron camps and all that. And, and Kevin Love had done the, had been on Team USA as well with LeBron, and they brought them in. I mean, so this so, is guys – in, 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 instead of guys who happen to be good playing on the same team, these are contrived, hatched plans to bring guys together. And that's different, and we've seen that at the college level. We have. Now, do you think that we'll see it more now that like the NBA, everybody talks about super teams and guys going together? Do you think that that will now that that we'll see even more of that where guys are like, hey, let's the three of us go, you know, here like, you know, like Darius Garland and Romeo Langford are going to do and build their super team at Indiana? Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) No, I well, I really hope that happens, but uh, I really hope it doesn't happen at other places. But uh, sure, I'm good with it at Indiana. Just hire their assistant coaches or hire their head coaches. Interesting. I I feel like with recruiting, it's there's two types of guys. There's guys who want to be the star. You know, you get a Ben Simmons going to LSU. You get a Michael Porter going to Missouri. You get Markel Fultz went to Washington. I mean, you get guys who are like, I want to be the guy that either, you know, I mean, their attitude isn't just necessarily selfish. It's I want to build that program or I want to be the leader there or something like that. It's not necessarily all selfish, but they do want to be the star and be on ESPN and be the focus. And then there's other guys who are all about teaming up. I mean, you see it happen at Duke all the time. You see it in Kentucky, North Carolina. These guys know each other and say, hey, let's go together and go build, go win a championship or, or go do something. Um, so really, it's interesting. It, it, it will depend on how, you know, what kind of guys are coming out. Do they look at the Ben Simmons model and say, hey, he went to LSU. They weren't very good. He put up his numbers and it didn't hurt his draft stock and he went number one. Or do they look at the Kentucky model where all, all six guys get drafted, you know, but maybe they don't get drafted number one because they don't get the focus. So I guess it really just depends on the kids' personalities. But I think we could start seeing more of that because, you know, the NBA guys are doing it. Why, why wouldn't we? And, and I think it could be a reciprocal thing. Here's the other question to answer quickly. You know, you look at the Warriors and you see a guy like Draymond Green, who's so versatile, so good, and you see what Steph Curry can do. And he's, you know, just kind of average looking average in size, but, you know, he's so great. And, you know, you start to see teams try and fit these templates, these prototypes of players. Do you think that's a mistake? I mean, are, you know, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, obviously Kevin Durant is, I mean, he's clearly unique. And I mean, there's a few guys like him. Do you think that's a mistake to go out and try and find these types of players? Or do you think that's smart? Just, you know, understand you're not going to find exactly the next Draymond Green, but finding a 6'6 to 6'8 versatile guy with long arms who can do a lot of things. This is the future of basketball. So go find your version of this. I think people are going to start looking for guys like that and maybe look at guys differently than, hey, he put up 25 points. We need him. You know, I think they're going to start looking at versatility because of what Green, uh, Kawhi Leonard, guys like that, as we mentioned before, can do for you with their versatility, uh, especially as we move towards a positionless sort of world that that the Warriors have helped sort of foster. Um, but nobody's going to nobody was looking for a six foot four, 175 pound guy who can shoot the lights out when Steph Curry came 
agreement. So I think sometimes you just kind of have to find a guy you think is a great basketball player regardless, and you got to go for that because you're not going to match Steph Curry as a shooter. You're not going to match Clay Thompson as a, as a, as a 3 and D guy um, who can also do anything else. I mean, Clay Thompson would be a superstar if he was on his own team, and he appears like the fourth option right now at times. Um, you're never going to find a, an, an exact replica of Kevin Durant. Uh, you know, so I think it's it's it, – I think you can look for versatility without saying let's find the next Draymond because let's remember Draymond Green was a second round pick. You know nobody was looking for that until he came along, and there's going to be another guy like that that nobody's looking for that comes along and 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 makes an impact with a different skill set. But like you said, like I thought that was a mistake for Draymond Green to be picked that low because you could see I agree in college. Too. I mean that guy was a leader. He was he was he was always one of my favorite non IU players to watch. So it hasn't really surprised me that he's succeeded. And maybe- I'm with you. I think most Big Ten fans would say that. Yeah. So, but no, again, I think it's, you know, usually they look for specific things and, and they weren't looking for that before. Uh, I think versatility though, is going to be value moving forward, particularly, as we said, in, in the positionless world where guys can do multiple things, guard one through four, you know, rebound, defend, do all of that stuff and obviously hit shots, which is becoming increasingly important. Yeah. We have two seconds left. Do you want to say anything else about the Conor McGregor fight? I'll pass just for the sake of our audience. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live simulcast of our Assembly Call recording, or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free Assembly Call membership before the season starts. All right. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU Hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to support the show, please share The Assembly Call with a friend or family member who loves IU basketball like you do. You can also visit assemblycall.com support to learn a few ways you can help. From donating to grabbing official Assembly Call gear to buying IU merchandise that you'd buy anyway, but using our special affiliate links, which get us a commission. We rely on the support of audience members like you to keep the assembly call alive and growing. Once again, the URL is assemblycall.com support. Thank you, and as always, go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.